In this episode, how important is the story to a fine art photograph? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fine Art Photography Podcast. In this episode, I wanted to ask the question, how important is a story to the making of a fine art photograph? First, I want to give a shout out to Frank, who I had the pleasure of meeting recently for a long talk about photography. And part of what we talked about was how to bring story into the practice of photography. He's a heck of a nice guy, and our chat inspired me to think more deeply about this uh, topic for this episode. We've all heard that age-old axiom that a picture's worth a thousand words, and periodically I hear photographers talk about how they compose their photograph to tell a story. They'll say something like, The fog in the treetops helps tell the story of the old abandoned mill. That's a made-up example, but you get the idea. To be honest, I never understood that. In my mind, a picture alone cannot tell a story. It, of course, can help contribute to the telling of a story, but a photograph is just a slice of time, a fraction of a second, an isolated episode. How can that really tell a story? Even in photojournalism, where the very best images are darn compelling and can definitely enhance or even spawn many more stories, is it really possible to tell a story in a photograph? In his recent book, See Saw, Looking at Photographs, art critic Jeff Dyer claims that Gary Winogrand insisted that a photograph had no narrative ability. He said, in a photo, you can't tell if a man is putting on his hat or taking it off. That's such a great example of what I mean. And to be clear, I'm not saying that all fine art photographs even need a story. Many photographs exist solely to be mysterious. Others seem to ask a question that maybe has no answer. Some photographs exist solely to be beautiful. Others just give you a mood or a vibe. There are millions of photographs and they each have their own reason for existing. If you don't need or want a story built around your photographs, that's okay. For my photography practice, a lot of my subject matter is more satisfying to me if it's supported by a story, and in my way of thinking, there are two ways to do that. One is by actually making a series of photographs that explore a subject more fully from various viewpoints. The other is by composing a written or verbal narrative around the photograph as I want it to be told. Some photographs provoke you to create your own stories in your mind. The beautiful fantasy photographs of Kirsty Mitchell do that for me. Have you seen her work? She creates elaborate costumes, often using plants and flowers. Then she stages portraits in natural settings like out in the forest. Her models look like goddesses or fairies, but a big part of Kirstie Mitchell's storytelling is in how she makes the photographs. She makes behind-the-scenes videos showing her process, and they are just spellbinding. And she also sells books. I admire photographers like Kirstie Mitchell who can make photography interesting to watch. Let's face it, photography is fun to do, but as an activity, it's not much more exciting than watching golf or watching paint dry. It's dull, and nothing personal to you golf fans out there. Yet there are a retinue of photographers on YouTube who found ways to entertain us while they take photographs. These photographers are good at storytelling in the field as they shoot. They're great at improvising the story, and they are often educational as well. Frankly, I don't always like the photographs they take, but it doesn't matter. They're masterful storytellers, and in many cases, the story is the thing. Before we get too far into this, maybe we should define the word story. Definition of story, according to Merriam-Webster, it's an account of incidents or events. A statement regarding the facts pertinent to a situation or a question. Anecdote, especially an amusing one. Fictional narrative shorter than a novel, 
specifically a short story. The intrigue or plot of a narrative or dramatic work. Dictionary.com says a story is a narrative, either true or fictitious, in prose or verse, designed to interest, amuse, or instruct the hearer or the reader. Author Lisa Cron wrote a book called Story Genius, How to Use Brain Science to Go Beyond Outlining and Write a Riveting Novel. She said a story is about how the things that happen affect someone in pursuit of a difficult goal and how that person changes internally as a result. Here are seven elements that writers use to shape a story. They may not all apply to us, but it's good stuff to know. The seven elements of story are setting, characters, plot, conflict, resolution, point of view, and theme. Several years ago, I began researching some of the abandoned places I had photographed. It was mostly out of curiosity, but I also needed the information for the purposes of writing uh, photo titles and descriptions on my website and stuff like that. I was really just looking for basics, just enough to help me achieve those simple goals. Over time, I realized there was so much more to it. I began to understand that there was much more dramatic information to be gleaned from some of these old buildings. As an artist making black and white photographs, why would I work so hard on making a compelling photograph and then not try to tell the backstory in the most compelling, dramatic, poignant way possible? For myself, the story supports the photograph by giving it context and allowing people to understand the significance of what they're seeing in the image. And hopefully, conversely, my photograph helps the narrative by adding a unique artist's vision to it. Remember, for me, I'm making quote-unquote fine art photography, so I'm not always trying to document a scene so much as I'm trying to interpret the scene. So I want the story to help push along my reasons for making the art. Sometimes I want the words to be more poetic or abstract, and sometimes they're more of a straight-up set of facts, if that's what the image calls for. I tell stories about the photographs I take because I think the context matters. Quite often there's a very interesting backstory, it might be something interesting in the history of the subject matter, or it might be a quirky thing that happened on the day of the photo shoot, or it might be some personal frame of reference from my own life or viewpoint that caused me to zero in on that particular subject matter. In the end, I want my viewers to identify with the photograph, and if they buy a print, I want them to have a little extra satisfaction in knowing the story behind it. I like the idea of a photograph in a collector's home being a potential conversation piece. While the framed print on the wall may keep some of its secrets, Perhaps the collector would enjoy sharing its story with friends gathered in their home for a get-together. So now let me give you an example of all the story possibilities from one photograph that I made several years ago. It's a photograph of a gnarly old tree that I just loved. The photograph was made in wintertime, so the twisty branches are barren and stands above windswept tussles of tall grass. I make black and white photographs, so in this image the tree is very dark, almost solid black, silhouetted against a white winter sky, and the windswept yellow grass makes a bright contrast. The tree stands on a hill overlooking a river. You can't see that in the photograph, but that's the situation. You might not think there'd be much to say about the tree on a hilltop, but sometimes there's more than meets the eye. Now, I live in the American South, which, as you may know, is still rather obsessed with the Civil War, and there are a lot of Civil War parks all around. Some, like the Chickamauga Battlefield in Chattanooga, are vast, Others are quite small, just a historical marker and a little bit of land where a battle or something happened. So this tree that I described earlier stands over a small family cemetery on land that was once a farm. There are a couple of small, broken headstones there. The farmer had died in the 1850s, leaving his wife and a passel of small children to manage the farm. The bodies were buried under the tree in the 1850s, and the farm was overrun by soldiers in 1862. A ferocious battle took place all around the tree, 
which you can see is quite old. It predates the 1850 cemetery. It not only stood guard over the family plot, but it also witnessed a ferocious battle. In one account of the battle, I read, it was nearing dusk, which in those days typically meant no more fighting for the day. Some Union troops had found a chicken, certainly the property of the farmer's wife, the wife of the same farmer who was lying in the earth under the tree, and they were putting it into a pot over a fire when they were suddenly called to arms. Apparently, the Confederate soldiers on the opposite banks of the river had decided to make an ill-advised evening raid. A ferocious battle ensued. The Union side on the hilltop had the advantage of higher ground, and they had cannons. It's said that the cedar trees exploded all around from the cannon fire, amidst the cries of fear and screams of injured men. It wasn't a very long battle, but a disastrous one for the attackers trying to cross the river. Afterwards, the Union soldiers simply returned to eat their chicken that had been stewing over the fire. All of that happened on this now quiet and peaceful ground surrounding this old cemetery tree. But there's more. It's also believed that this same tree was used even before that as a landmark for early settlers and travelers, and even as a marker for land surveyors. That's a lot of fodder for storytelling. Suddenly, this gnarly old cripple of a tree takes on epic, even legendary status in my mind. It's a survivor and a witness. I discovered all of this background from doing research and detective work. After the research, the task becomes, how do you shape the story into something clear, concise, and compelling? Remember, from before, one of the elements of storytelling is theme and another is point of view. I think those two elements work closely together. What's your point of view, and how does it shape the overarching theme of your story? By the way, sadly, the tree was lost a few years ago. A winter storm caused a severe split in the trunk, and it had to be taken down. Now, just a wide, flat, low disc of a trunk remains there today, next to the two or three small, old headstones. Now, admittedly, that's a very special case. Not all landscapes have such readily available stories, but you won't know unless you do the research. I've had much more luck finding stories about abandoned buildings where there's often a gold mine of detail to be learned about the building, about the people who live there, or about the community at large. One caveat, try to verify your facts before publishing. I've been called out many times by the residents of Pamplin City, Virginia, telling me that my facts are all wrong about some of the buildings in Pamplin's abandoned old downtown strip. Blog posts are easy to revise, but YouTube videos are not so easy once published. One final section to this, and I'll leave you to think about stories for your photographs. Once you have a story about your photograph, where or how do you tell it? For me, I tell these stories in a variety of venues. I tell very short portions of the story on my portfolio pages on my website. That's, again, where I use the titles and the descriptions I talked about earlier. I tell much fuller stories on my blog where I can include not only my final black-and-white photography, but also behind-the-scenes snapshots and even video as appropriate. I tell some of these stories on my YouTube channel, where I offer a variety of different contexts. Often my videos are recorded at the time the photo is made out in the field, so people can see the context of the scenario for themselves. But you could do that in other ways. A video could be you sitting in your studio, telling the story while you hold a print in your hands. The possibilities are endless. Make it your own style and use your imagination. And of course, sometimes I tell these stories to you here on my podcast. By the way, earlier I mentioned the book Seesaw. That's C-S-E-E slash saw. The Jeff Dyer book. It's worth reading if you enjoy reading about photography. He's a respected critic and he's written about photography for years. His essay on Vivian Meyer didn't quite give her the proper due in my opinion, but he writes with a viewpoint, so it might be helpful if you want to see how it's done. 
I'll put an Amazon link in the write-up for this podcast, or check with your public library. His name is spelled G-E-O-F-F-D-Y-E-R. Anyways, I hope you find this helpful or interesting. That's all I've got for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again real soon.